today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. We've certainly heard a lot about uh, media and local media, how it has been affected uh, with not only uh, COVID-19, but certainly the influx of uh, Internet services and such. Um, many have said, uh, well, even last, uh, I think it was last week, uh, a lot of major newspapers ran a blank front page. Uh, to 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 protest uh, what is happening in the loss of uh, of local media and such. Many are just saying, "Hey, that's technology. Uh, you either adapt or you don't." But uh, what many are not realizing is that a lot of this news initiates. It starts at. Uh, the sources of traditional media and then just basically gets ripped off and, and put on uh, other platforms and, and other methods of, of distribution. And uh, obviously the traditional media gets gets no uh, reimbursement for any of that. Now Facebook uh, will block news content from being read and shared in its newsfeed in Australia, uh, drawing a line in the sand against a proposed Australian law that would require it and Alphabet Incorporated uh, Inc.'s Google to pay the country's news publishers for content. So uh, Australia wants Facebook to pay for that content. Uh, Facebook says, no, we're just going to shut all of the uh, those services down for you. So let's bring in Ian Lee, professor at Carleton University Sprott School of Business, and with us now. Ian, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Doing very well, thanks, Scott. So where are you on this? Uh, obviously, we're seeing traditional media get gutted. Uh, obviously, uh, technology is moving on. However, many are questioning the loss of, of, of these reporters and the loss of, of this service and such. Uh, what, is Australia's method going to work? No, no, I don't think it is. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to phrase this uh, quite a bit differently than the way you just did in the intro. I mean, this to me is just a classic copyright issue. Okay, Facebook was using the content, and let's be clear, Australian government and the Canadian government calls using it, providing a link. I send stuff to friends all the time, and I put a link to articles in papers and magazines and websites of broadcasters and so on, all the time. And now, okay, I'm not a commercial entity, I'm just a private citizen, but I send links all the time. But they're calling that using the content. I don't think putting a link to a story is using the content uh, in the full se- in the sense of the word of copyright. Nonetheless, Mr. Gibo and the Governor of Canada said this: you got to pay royalties if you even link to a story. So they gave a choice, basically, in Australia, and they're proposing to do the same in Canada and some other countries. They're saying, look, you social media companies, if you use this content, including putting a link to it, you've got to pay royalties, copyright fees, whatever you want to call it. And they're saying, okay, thank you very much. We have a choice. We're not going to use it. That's perfectly legal. That's perfectly legitimate. They have the choice to put whatever they want on their website. And they're saying, we're going to honor the law, respect the law. The law says you must pay money to the publishers, the owners of the the media organizations that you were linking to. So they're saying, okay, we're not going to put that data on the on our website, on Facebook's website, we're not going to put any of those stories on there, and therefore we don't have to pay royalties. Now they're having a, a temper tantrum, the government of Australia, and Mr. Gibo said it was very arrogant. It's just an editorial decision. The arrogance is the government of Australia. The arrogance is Mr. Gibo in saying that they are now suggesting between the lines that they can dictate to Facebook what will be put on the Facebook pages. 
So isn't this more than just linking things, though? I mean, that would be the most simplistic form of it, but it gets a lot more complicated than that, doesn't it, Ian? Let's get into the weeds over whether it's linking or actually copying the full story. Facebook is saying, okay, you're commanding, demanding royalties if we either copy the story or link. And we're choosing not to use the data anymore. Sure. That's fine. That's fine, yeah. You know, if you have a a commercial event of any kind and you decide and you're selling tickets, because this happened to me recently, a couple of years ago, and you decide to use music from CDs, you know, from rock groups, Mm -hmm. you you have to pay royalties. And if you say, well, I don't want to pay royalties, they say, good, don't use the music. Okay, I get that. You know, you can't rip off the owner of the copyright, the owner of the IP, the intellectual property. You know, you have to pay fees for the use of that intellectual property. I fully understand that. So Facebook is saying we're no longer going to use that content that now requires we pay a royalty. So and shouldn't that be a solution to the problem? The problem's over then. Uh, we got to pay to use it, so we're not going to use it anymore. That's exactly what's going on. And and why, uh, I mean, this is very standard IP rules. If, so again, know, is, that, is that going to, hang on, let me interrupt you here, Ian. Is that going to harm australia more or facebook i mean facebook said uh, okay if, if we got to pay for this stuff we're not gonna we're not gonna publish it we're not gonna post those links That's does right. that hurt does that hurt facebook or does that hurt australia um i think it hurts australia consumers far more and lest anyone think that i'm some kind of a lover of facebook or have some kind of relationship i actually think facebook is terrible i do not use facebook i do not know why people go on facebook i'm being very blunt Okay, I'm not here to defend Facebook. Believe me, <laughs> I don't. I'm not. My point is simply, if any person decides to use some material that is copyrighted, whether they're a company or a person, that is your choice. But you must obey the law, and you must pay the premium or the privilege or the copyright fee. Mm-hmm. We get emails all the time as professors saying, don't violate the copyright. You can't photocopy a chapter from a book. But isn't this, in the end, in the end, people will go to, like, again, all Facebook is is a method of distribution. So uh, now they've been told they can't use this content. So uh, that just means that Australians will have to find the content at its original source. Exactly. Big deal. That's what everybody used to do anyway. Exactly. Um, So is this not hurting Facebook more? Because Facebook now, uh, the distributor of free content, now has an element of that free content. They can't contribute any. They can't post anymore. Scott, I don't dispute what you're saying. There's a judgment there, a strategic judgment, but that's their choice. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. not the role of the government to dictate whether you will or will not use the music at that public event. In other words, if I say, I'm not going to use, I love the Rolling Stones, but because the Rolling Stones insist on, uh, I have to pay a royalty if I have a big party event and I sell tickets or something, they want copyright, they want revenues. And I say, I'm not going to pay it even though I love the Rolling Stones. That's my choice. The governor of Canada can't come along and say, oh, Ian Lee, you've got to play Rolling Stones music and pay royalties. I don't want the Rolling Stones music anymore. I changed my mind. So do you think Australia is upset now that Facebook has taken the uh, position of just dropping the content as opposed to paying for it? That's exactly right. They have uh, backed themselves, and Mr. Gibo is about to back himself and the governor of Canada to the same corner. Why do they care? Why would they care, though, Ian? Because they're not making any revenue out of it. Why would would any of those people care they're backed into a corner? Because this is the arrogance of the government. This is the arrogance of politicians. They want 
Facebook to pay premiums or royalties or whatever word you want to call it. And, and that's fine. That's legitimate. But Facebook has decided that the value proposition isn't worth it, that there isn't enough value right. there. Because if they thought that there was good value and they were going to make money, you pay it. It's like anything. You buy something because you think there's a, a benefit to buying the product or the service. And that applies to companies just as much. So they're saying, gee whiz, all this content out there, you know, it's, it's just not worth the value proposition, and we're choosing not to. The politicians are getting very angry because they thought they had... That they would pay for it. That they were going to just roll over and... So where does it. it leave everybody if, if, if Facebook just decides to drop the content? Because, again, that's still stopping their content, you know, from being ripped off. So, uh, again, uh, you pay for it or you don't use it. We decide not to use it. I, I don't see how that is, is, is that isn't a win-win. I, that's my view. That is my view. I yeah. think that Mr. Gibo is deeply confused. I keep mentioning him because we are Canada. We are in Canada. You're a Canadian. I'm a Canadian. And Mr. Gibo is proposing to do a law very, very similar to Australia. And he is having a meltdown. He was quoted today, as is the Australian government, because they said, here's the deal. You got to pay for copyright. You got to pay royalties if you use uh, these news stories. And Facebook saying, okay, thank you, we're not going to use it. And the governments are both getting really angry that Facebook made that decision, which yeah. is a perfectly legal yeah. decision, people. Anybody Why not let this play out and see what happens? Won't we know in a year what form this yeah, is going to take? Maybe. And some people say, well, Facebook's making a huge strategic mistake. Well, companies have the right to make strategic mistakes. Yeah. They do it every day. Coaches in the NFL screw up every day. In the NHL, they screw up and they lose hockey games. That's part of life and competition. It's not the role of the government to start dictating our strategic choices. And if I teach strategy, that's why I keep talking about strategy, by the way. And so if Facebook is making this strategic decision yeah. to not publish the content in order to not pay the royalties, that's perfectly their strategic choice. Okay, I understand what you're saying there, Ian, and we're almost out of time. I understand what your point you're making there, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. But at the end of the day, is it not a disadvantage to Facebook that they don't have this credible content yes, or access to it? I'm not trying to duck Yeah, questions. no, I see what you're saying. I'll wait to see what we happens. We will know over yeah. the next year or so. It's yeah. an experiment. It's a, it's a full, it's a, no kidding, it's a real corporate strategic experiment yeah. for a social media platform. If you decide not to use content that you now have to pay for that before you got for free, let's all agree it was free before and now you've got to pay. So they made a decision, okay, we're not going to use it. Will that harm Facebook's uh, a value, its own value proposition to Facebook users in the marketplace? If they start to have people stopping using Facebook because they, there's less stuff there, well, then Facebook will realize that they made yeah. a strategic mistake and they will mm -hmm. correct it. Mm. This is fascinating to see how this is going to play out because this has been debated for a long time and it looks like push has finally come to shove. Uh, Ian Lee has been with us, professor at Carleton University Sprott School of Business, talking about uh, Facebook and Australia battling it out over control of news media and using that content. Ian, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. Um, we're certainly seeing parts of southern Ontario open up. Hamilton and uh, regions around in the red zone now out of lockdown. Unfortunately for Toronto, Peel and uh 
uh, York. They are still in uh, a, uh, a lockdown situation. Uh, the restaurants have been down since October 10th. Uh, the good news is in some of the other regions, they get to open up, but boy, it's still very, very limited. Let's bring in James Rylett, Vice President of, Cent- of the Central Canada Division with Restaurants Canada and is with us now. James, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Scott. So I can imagine what your answer is going to be here, James, but uh, what are your thoughts on uh, obviously things starting to relax in some areas in Ontario, but uh, obviously in, in uh, the greater Toronto-Hamilton area, especially Toronto, uh, Peel, and York, uh, still really feeling the pinch here. Uh, man, they've been out for a long time. Yeah, and it's it's looking like there'll be a few more weeks before uh, um, they get reopened at, at any level, so uh it's looking tough in those areas, but even in places like Hamilton where uh, you're in red, in, for the restaurant industry, red is still basically closed because um, you can't really open if you can only allow 10 people in your restaurant. So so what um, is, let's talk about that. So if you yep. are in the red, it allows you to open with 10 sitting in. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. So um, most restaurants can't keep a staff on to, yeah. uh, to service at the most 10 people it's, um even even if you're allowed to 10 it's not like they're going to be 10 people in there the whole a uh, whole day so um most won't oh, most won't open with uh, the 10 restrictions so for the most part the hamilton area has been closed since november 14th i believe so um all restaurants are, are feeling the pinch uh we just surveyed our members and about 30 percent of independents don't think they'll make it through the next three months so it's a tough time so we've certainly heard, um, you know, arguments on both sides of this. Um, some that, uh, obviously those that want it open now, then there's those that fear if we open now, uh, that in, in variants take off that we could close again. Uh, what's, what's the thought of, of, uh, the restaurant industry is, is, would they rather at least try to, you know, eke something out now or, and, and risk closing again or just staying closed down? Um, well, it's, it's mixed bags that some people are on each side. We definitely don't want to close it down again. I think people want some certainty as to how, how long they're going to reopen. Um, that being said, we do think there is a place for having, uh, restaurants open with restrictions. Um, you know, everyone's getting uh, lockdown fatigue. They're, mm-hmm. they're tired of, of just sitting in their house all day. Um, and as we've seen in BC, uh, BC has been able to keep the restaurants open the entire time, and, and they've been able to keep the, the numbers low. And uh, when there is a spike, the, the uh, they're able to break the curve while while keeping the restaurants open. And it's for that reason. It's because if if you don't have an option to go out with your family, uh, you're going to go to other people's houses. You're going to have people over, and and that's when the spread happens. So we think there's an option for uh, to do both. Um, the city of uh, Oakville actually just uh, did a resolution to that effect, uh, agreeing with us. So hopefully there'll be some uh, changes looked at and uh, we can get some sort of opening. Soon. What sort of changes? What can you do with the situation the way it is, James? How can how can you do it uh, and make it work? Well, in other provinces, uh, um, B.C., Alberta, uh, most of the uh, Atlantic bubble, you're allowed to go out, but you have to go with your, your, your family bubble. So you can only go out with the same people you right. live live with um you know that's maybe that's restrictive but at least it gets you out about it it, 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 it um you're not going to invite people over you're going to be able to get out of your house you're going to um, celebrate 
a birth day or whatever. So um, that's that's the concept. Uh, most usually it's around twenty five percent capacity, which again that's that's hard to stay open on that. But if you have a huge restaurant, you might be able to make a go of it. So hopefully, uh, there's, obviously, there's this is turned. This has turned into a race and which is going to get here first, the new variants or the vaccine. Are you concerned that, you know, until a vaccine does arrive, this is just going to continue till spring? They're saying late spring, uh, you know, for for a mass vaccination. Uh, Do you see much hope between now and then? Um. I always like to look for hope. Uh, It's getting Mm -hmm. harder to find Uh, every time there's a variant comes up and, uh, you know, with the statements that some of the uh, health officials are putting out, uh, it's not, it's, it's hard to keep a positive attitude, but, uh, you know, hopefully we can find a a third way to do this and it's not just open or closed. Hopefully uh, we can find a different way to do things and uh, get people out to uh, at least some semblance of normalcy. James Rylett's been with us, Vice President of the Central Canada Division with Restaurants Canada, advocating for restaurants, obviously feeling the pinch as uh, lockdowns drag on in some regions. James, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Good luck. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Another exciting day if you want to leave the planet and uh, go somewhere where there is not a global pandemic. Uh, NASA's Perseverance rover ready to land on Mars today. Like, actually, in uh, 35, 40, for another 20 minutes, it could land there if all goes uh, uh, to schedule. Let's bring in Paul Delaney, space exploration expert, professor of astronomy and physics at York University, and is with us now. Paul, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, very good indeed, Scott. And it's an hour and 20, by the way. Just, just uh, We've got a little more time than that. Not oh, 20. I'm sorry. I'm on, the wrong, I'm on the Eastern time zone. I'm in the wrong time yeah. zone here. <laughs> so th- this must be a pretty exciting day for those in your industry. It certainly is. Uh, anybody who's got any interest in the solar system, astronomy in general, uh, today is the day. You know, Mars is an exciting target, and when you put a probe on the surface, a rover with the capabilities Perseverance has, yeah, this is going to be great day and hopefully a terrific couple of years ahead. So I've seen some animation on what's going to happen here. Sort of explain how this all happens and how this craft lands on Mars. Yeah, it's 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 nail biting. It's it's nerve wracking. It really is. So the the spacecraft is traveling at the moment a little under twenty thousand kilometers an hour, and it's a straight in descent to Mars. So it's not stopping in orbit. So it's it's on its way down. When it encounters the upper fringes of the atmosphere of Mars, even though Mars's atmosphere is relatively thin compared to us, it still begins to heat up the spacecraft. So Perseverance begins to shed speed, shed energy, raise its temperature as it banks its way through the atmosphere, heading towards its target destination, Jezero Crater. Uh, when it uh, gets down to about 1,000 kilometers an hour, it uh, deploys its parachute. Not easy to do at those sorts of speeds. And then a couple of minutes later, the ground acquisition radar starts to work. It's got literally less than a minute to figure out where it needs to be and how it needs to go. And then its uh, back shell disappears, the descent engines fire, and the vehicle ends up hovering about 20 meters above the ground. And at that point in time, a winch lowers the rover down to the surface, and then the rest of the descent uh, mechanism flies away. All that happens on autopilot. It happens within seven minutes. 
So 20,000 kilometers down to zero in seven minutes, and there's absolutely nothing we can do except to watch it. <laughs> it's like watching Amazon send in a drone to drop off your package. You got it. That's exactly right. Like, this is absolutely fascinating to me, uh, Paul. So the craft that then leaves it there, what happens to it? Uh, literally, it's done its job. It goes anywhere. They literally just exhaust the fuel. They fly it as far away from uh, Perseverance as it can, so it cannot impact the area that uh, Perseverance is going to examine. And obviously, you, you don't want any impact at all associated with uh, you know the rover itself. So the descent stage just goes away. <laughs> so why wouldn't, and this may seem like a dumb question, Paul, why would the craft just not land on the surface and let the thing go, as opposed to why would it take off again? Right. Well, the, the biggest problem is that Perseverance is like a minivan. It's, it's a 1,000 kilograms. And so you, you can't put that on top of the lander. It, it's sort of strapped in the belly of it. Right. So if the lander lands, okay, with Perseverance underneath it, there's no really easy way to get it out. Uh, the previous missions, the rovers sat on top of the descent mechanism and it just rolled off. But that's not the case for uh, a minivan. So literally, they've got to get the minivan out of the spacecraft onto the ground before it actually sort of, you know, the, the spacecraft covers the minivan, hence the sky crane or the winching mechanism that I described. Wow. So what happens to the rover once this craft drops it off? Okay, so then we're, that's when the science begins, obviously, and we're hoping for anywhere from two to ten years' worth of exploration. This is an upgraded version of the Curiosity rover that landed in August of 2012. So we've taken all the experiences that we've had with Curiosity, put all the good stuff, figured out the bad stuff, put that into Perseverance, upgraded all of its instrumentation, because, of course, we're 10 years further down the line in technology. And this mission is going to be looking for signs of life. Unlike previous missions where the search for life was somewhat secondary, we were more interested in searching out water, understanding the geology of the planet, understanding the atmosphere of the planet. Perseverance is charged with trying to find those organic molecules, the signatures of life. And it is, by the way, also carrying a couple of engineering test vehicles, uh, including a helicopter called Ingenuity. And what does it do? Well, it's hopefully going to be the first time we've ever gone airborne on any other planet in our solar system. Uh, the aim is for it literally to uh, scout the area surrounding Perseverance. You know, you want to be able to maximize wow. the destinations of Perseverance identifying the best target rocks, making sure that you don't go in this direction over the horizon where there's sand dunes and things along those lines. So Ingenuity is designed to literally, first off in this mission, just scout out the regions. But in future missions, this could actually fly up onto sort of you know, areas, rocks, um, cliffs that the rovers in the future won't be able to get to. So uh, Ingenuity's uh, cousins in the future will actually carry their own science payloads. But that's not the case this time. We just want to make sure that we can get it off the ground and, and fly around in the thin atmosphere. Wow. Um, so how does this information, how does the rover send information back to Earth? Well, we've got a small flotilla of spacecraft in orbit around Mars. So Perseverance will not transmit directly to Earth. Rather, it fires up its data to one of the orbiting satellites that act like a relay link. So very much like your internet. You, know, you go from your home out to the internet at large and it passes through a series of nodes and delivers your message to wherever you want it to go. 
same sort of thing on Mars. We will uh, collect the data from Perseverance, and whichever satellite happens to be in the right configuration, it'll act as a relay back to the ground stations here on Earth, what we call our deep space network, and uh, that will soak up literally gigabits, gigabytes of data on a daily basis. But there isn't actually any samples, uh, per se, coming back to Earth. Ah, not yet. But, I'm sorry, I should have clarified that. Uh, One of Perseverance's main aims is to actually prepare samples for sample return. And so while it's doing its in-situ measurements on the ground in real time, it's also going to be packaging up a series of rocks that will be picked up by a return mission uh, later this decade. And then... You know, literally many tens of kilograms of rocks will be brought back to the laboratories here on Earth for further analysis. So Perseverance has this dual role. Search in situ, have, a, have its best shot at real-time analysis on the surface of Mars, but prepare a whole series of rock samples to come back to Earth with the European Space Agency and NASA towards the end of this decade. So obviously that's still a long ways away, but uh, the reverse just happened here? A craft come down, pick up the samples, and off it goes? That's exactly right. It it will not be a rover. The the return vehicle will come down to the surface, predefined area. The rock samples will be sitting there. Presumably a robotic arm will reach out, grab a hold of them, pack them in, and that vehicle will take off again and come back to Earth. So it's a very ambitious mission, and that's why NASA and ESA are teaming up to do it. That should happen if all goes well in and around 2029. So uh, the rover scheduled to land this afternoon. When did it actually leave Earth? When did this actually take off? This particular vehicle left uh, July 30th, so uh, seven and a half month-ish uh, um, uh, voyage between Earth and Mars, which is pretty standard. You know, anywhere from seven to eight months, depending upon when you launch in the Mars launch window. And in this case, Perseverance launched towards the end of that window uh and so yeah seven and a half months is the answer how much stuff do we have on mars right now well uh this will be nasa's 10th attempt uh to land a vehicle on the surface uh, they're batting eight for nine at the moment so hopefully after this afternoon it'll be nine for ten so they're pretty good with that uh curiosity is the only rover now that is still active on the surface but we have um, the inside probe, which is still, it, it was a stationary probe sitting on the surface. So this will bring to a total of three on the surface of Mars that are continuing to be active. But there is something like, I'd have to actually do the arithmetic, but I think there is seven or eight probes in orbit from three different countries, four different countries now. So there's three different uh, crafts or 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 uh, whatever you want to call it um, um, uh, uh, pieces of equipment on on the planet right now. How far apart would they be for each other? Can they communicate with each other? They can't communicate directly, but through the orbiting satellite, they can. Right. Uh, I don't think they do on a regular basis because there's not much for each of them to tell each other. Uh, but they are, on occasions, they do coordinate their efforts via Earth. So if there is a particular experiment that needs to be run, and you know, detection of methane is one of the common ones, then all three probes on the ground will be given a timeline to execute certain experiments or certain uh, observations to see whether or not there is significant variation from one place to another on the surface for, as I say, for example, uh, determining the concentration of methane. So there is certainly uh, talk between them in that regard. 
they're not particularly close. Um, as I recall, they are literally separated by thousands of kilometers. Uh, they spread mm. around the planet because, of course, the differing locations have differing science objectives. And so they maximize the science return, and that basically places them <laughs> literally anywhere on the planet. That is fascinating. Uh, what is the biggest challenge about what's happening this afternoon? Just a safe landing? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> very, very simple. Just make, uh, just getting it to land there without, uh, without it, it, it's uh, exploding or, or colliding yeah. with the planet. That's exactly right. Uh, the European Space Agency and uh, the Russian Space Federation tried back in uh, 2000, and I guess it was 16, to put a land on the surface and were unsuccessful. Uh, basically, its radar acquisition failed. The vehicle thought it was on the ground. It was still three kilometers up in the air. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not easy, uh, Mars. I mean, every aspect of space exploration has its challenges, but entry, descent, and landing, as they refer to it, EDL, for a rover or any type of craft to be on the surface safely, that's very challenging. So that's today's number one mission objective, get down to the ground safely. And after that happens and they've checked out the rover and made sure that it's happy, its science mission will begin. And as I said, it's about a primary mission of two years, but these vehicles tend to almost live forever. So we're expecting sort of five to ten years worth of roving from Perseverance. Paul Delaney is with us, space exploration expert, professor of astronomy and physics, York University, NASA's Perseverance rover going to land on Mars today. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for the time and insight as always. Fascinating stuff. Be well. You bet. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.